think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The European Championships with Football Social Daily. Group F in Euro 2020 is the tournament's group of death and the first round of group games kicked off last night with one team from that section facing the winner of England and Scotland's group. But take your pick out of France, Germany and Portugal. All of those teams in action last night and it was the reigning Euro champions and the reigning world champions who picked up three points respectively at the expense of Germany and Hungary. We'll pick apart last night's Euros action as well as looking ahead to Wales's test against Turkey today. Can the Welsh channel the spirit they summoned five years ago at the Euros and progress to the knockout stages? They've already got one point on the board, but with Italy yet to play, is this game against Turkey their best chance of qualification? Plus, the Premier League fixtures for the upcoming season were announced this morning. We take a look at some of the tasty ties on opening weekend, as well as running the rule over how newly promoted Norwich, Watford and Brentford will fare in the top flight next season. I'm Niall McCorn and this is Football Social Daily with a distinct Euro 2020 flavour. We're now six days into the tournament already and every weekday we've had a brand new podcast for you covering all the action. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss one. Joining me on today's show, we've got Marley Anderson. How are you doing, Marley? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. How have you enjoyed the tournament so far? Has it lived up to your expectations? <laughs> yeah, I think it's been really good. Um, I was, you're always a bit mm. worried, with the, especially with the first round of games, that everyone's too scared to lose and it's a bit cagey and a bit turgid. But I think we've had some, some pretty decent games, very watchable games. And yeah, there's plenty of goals and plenty of talking points. So happy with it, yeah. Apart from Spain versus Sweden, which was comfortably the most boring game, I think, of all time <laughs> that I've ever watched. Um, and the only nil-nil so far, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So that's always a good sign when there's goals in the tournament. Also joining us on today's podcast, Ian Brannan. Morning to you, Ian. Hi, good morning. Yes, I'm in full uh, full Euro mood. Got the espadrilles on and uh, my trouser leg rolled up. Have you got the Calvin Phillips mural painted on the side of your house yet? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a work in progress, actually. I'm halfway through it. The thing is, I was never really very good at drawing so it's sort of it, it doesn't necessarily look like calvin phillips only if you squint 
But yeah, what a start for him, eh? What a start. <laughs> Let's talk about the Euros then, of course, because on Football Social Daily we are placing firm focus on the European Championships. A year delayed, but it has lived up to expectations, uh, especially last night with three powerhouses of European international football on display. In Group F, the group of death, Germany versus France was the later kickoff, but it was certainly the one that caught most people's eye. Finished Germany nil, France won. My first thoughts, Ian, on this was that watching it, it felt more like a last 16 or a quarter final game than a group game. It certainly had that big tournament, big game feel about it. I think when you have two of the big sides come up against each other whenever it whenever in the in the tournament it's it, it's always a an exciting moment because you know they're they're two sides that absolutely want to win this tournament i was hearing a, an interview yesterday with with a, a french player and i can't remember exactly who it was um it might be michael Silvestre actually um and he was saying that if france don't get to the semi-finals it's an absolute disaster they want to be in the final. And if anything less than that, and for the French team, that is an absolute disaster. They are looking to walk this tournament, our France. That's what they believe uh, is going to happen through the course of the, the tournament. Uh, quite high aspirations. But when you're up against Germany, you know you're up against one of the favourites. You know, we've talked about Germany before, how they've they've not necessarily been overly strong the last over the last 10 years at times. But um, they have got some tremendous players among them. And... Um, two sides who were you know it was like a derby game wasn't it you know blood and thunder and uh, anything can happen and, and in, indeed it did by the way it's, it's been a while since I've delivered a, a good stat on this podcast but um, I'm, I'm going to deliver one here now Germany yesterday that's the first time they've lost an opening fixture in the Euros uh, they've never lost before and the only team to ever go on and win a tournament having lost their opening game is the Netherlands in 1988. So um, history is not on the side of, of teams losing their opening games. No, but we could see for the first time ever in European Championships history a side that finished third in their group possibly go on to win the tournament. Um, that's not something that we would have seen too often, I don't think, in the history of the competition. Germany did lose to France. 1-0 was the scoreline. And even though Stefan on yesterday's podcast who's obviously half German, was bigging up the Germans and saying that they feel quietly confident. I don't think there's any shame in losing to a France side who, as you say, should comfortably and confidently be favourites for this tournament. They are the reigning world champions. They got to the final uh, of Euro 2016 where they got beaten um, in quite disappointing circumstances by Portugal. Those two will renew their rivalry as well later on in the group stages. But they did lose to North Macedonia before the tournament did Germany. They also lost 6-0 to Spain only a matter of months ago. So things have been a bit rocky for the Germans, but they are a different animal when it comes to tournament football. It was a Mats Hummel's own goal that sealed it to make it 1-0 for France, Marley. Do you think on the whole, though, France did deserve to win? Do you think they did enough to uh, to earn that three points? Uh, yeah, I think they did. Um, I was The only thing I was surprised about is that France let Germany have so much of the ball and they were quite happy to it was almost like a bit of uh, bravado as in to say, go on, you have the ball because we're not scared of anything you can do. And I think they had something like 60% possession Germany, but never never really looked like scoring. And in letting them have the ball, you exposed yourself to Mbappe's pace on, on the break. And it was it was good tactics by the French. And, you know, it, it worked in the end. And it was, uh, it was a good game to watch because it was tactically well balanced. And you just thought, you know, Germany were... We're too toothless to have it. I mean, uh, to to get anything out of the game, and 
you know, once we went 1-0 down, you were thinking, I don't really fancy Germany to get back into this. I'm not really sure who you'd back to score, um, you know, to get the equaliser. And I don't think they've got enough of a threat up front. I don't think they've got a proper striker who you can you can look at and say, I'm scared of him. Even uh, even Timo Werner might have done better than, than the, the front three they had with Muller, Nabry and, um, uh, uh, what you call him, uh, habits, sorry, and yeah, so I, I just think they they needed to try something different because France were just comfortable in in defence. You know, all the defensive players they've got and Kanté sitting in front of them, so it was nice and easy for them, and they were just happy to pick them off on the break. And I know they got the goal comfortably in the first half, and you know forced the mistake, but it all came from the Germans being. Uh, unorganised from, I think it was from a throw-in, wasn't it? And they all came over to the left-hand side and left loads of space on on their right. And it was really a good ball from Pogba and forced the own goal from Hummels. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just one team was organised and knew what they were doing and had a game plan and the other, the other just didn't, I don't think. There were two disallowed goals, weren't there, for France and Mbappe scored both of them. VAR was called into play and it, they were tight decisions, a couple of them, but um, the right call, do you think? VAR got the nail on the head there, Ian, with those two disallowed strikes? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, you can always sort of judge by the, the commentators and, and, and so on as well who, who've actually ever seen it with, it with their own eyes. Um, it, they, they they were offside. When you look back at the replays, there was no controversy there. It's right. That's what VAR is there for. Because if if they had been allowed, we'd be saying, well, you know, they scored through a through an offside goal and and all that kind of stuff. So it uh, always seems to be spot on in tournaments. VAR, yeah, doesn't and, it? I remember this during the World Cup. There was never really any question marks over any of the VAR decisions. Yet when you drag it back to the Premier League, it seems so controversial at times. But yeah, yet in these tournament matches, it always seems cut and dried. And. The, the decisions are made quicker as well. And I think Gary Lineker made this point um, on social media. I saw a tweet from him saying about, you know, the VAR in this tournament has, has shown that VAR is a good thing when it's done right. And he was saying that in, in this country, in the Premier League, we've we've complicated it. You know, we overlook it. We're putting these crosshairs on and not measuring things by the millimetre. And it doesn't need to be that. It just needs to be a quick replay. Have a look. Yeah, he was clearly offside. Boom, done. That's it. Whereas here we're getting our rulers out. And, oh, yes, he was offside by a millimetre there, technically, Terry. I think we should disallow it. Yes, I agree, Nigel. And, you know, just <laughs> we don't need it. We don't need that level of detail. It's just if it's clearly offside and he's, you know, salt and pepper pot and all that business and he's clearly offside linesman puts his flag up yeah he's right offside no goal that's all you need we don't need all this extra scientific bit and um and let's let's not forget if you boil down the offside rule it is about gaining an unfair advantage and is is half a millimeter really an unfair advantage you will have the people that say that yes it is because he's closer to the goal and all the rest of it (laughs) it is when you're chasing Mbappe exactly that's what I was gonna (laughs) that's what I was gonna ask you Marley Marley if you know, if those two goals are offside, which we think they are, VAR made the right call. Even so, does that not just highlight how dangerous Kylian Mbappe can be when he's running in behind? Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you you are hoping that VAR helps you out if you because uh, you've got to step up as far as you possibly can when you're playing Mbappe. You know, you've got to move at the last minute, otherwise he'll uh, he'll mm. he'll just do you. On even if he's two yards behind you, if the if the pass is right, he's going to get you. Uh, we've seen that in the second half when. <laughs> 
when poor Matt Summers after 80 minutes had to bloody chase him back 30 yards and you know nearly snapped both his hamstrings, but managed to get there somehow. But yeah, um, yeah, you you need you need to trust the technology. You need to trust that it's right. And you know, I think they have done a good job in the in the tournament. I think there's a couple of times where certain things have happened, like in the in the Hungary game yesterday when Hungary scored their goal against Portugal. Um, they were away celebrating, and I'm thinking, oh, where's where's VAR? And all of a sudden, there was no big delay. It was just, okay, someone was offside in the build-up. You've seen one replay of it, and that was it. It was done and dusted, and they were playing again. Um, and it just it's kind of shown us up in the Premier League that, we, that we're one of the leagues that was pushing for it, and we, we've made such an error of it because everything stops, and everyone gets annoyed, and then if there's a crowd, they start chanting, you know, uh, obscene things at VAR and it's just all a bit of a mess, isn't it? And it hasn't been anyone's friend all season. There's not, there's not a team that's that's hated it at some point or another. Um, so yeah, I think the the Euros has, has proved that it's it can be used. And I think Gary Lineker, as Ian said, then definitely has a point in what he put on social media that when it's done right, it's a it's a friend. But when it's done as we're doing it, it's a, it's a bit of a hindrance. Yeah, definitely. I do think that VAR in these tournaments does show up the way that we use the technology, as you both point out, as probably not quite as efficient and effective. Talking of efficiency and effectiveness, France, did they leave you wanting a little bit more, Ian? The the game finished 1-0, as we say, two disallowed goals, so it could have been more. But they weren't perhaps as electric as some people maybe were expecting them to be, because if you look at the team sheet on a piece of paper, you see all these star-studded names and you think, well, France are going to score goal after goal after goal. But it hasn't quite been like that, and maybe it hasn't been like that for a little while under Didier Deschamps, but they always seem to be tough to break down and they always seem to get the job done. And I think that, like you were saying before, the French media and the French public, I don't think they care too much if they're not beating teams like Germany 3-0. I think as long as they're winning games and getting through and making it to the later stages, I think they'll be satisfied. Yeah, it's it's getting through the group stages, isn't it? And and as, as we know, it's not about the <clears throat> quality of the performance or uh, artistic merit or anything like that. It's, it's getting the three points at, the, at this moment and save your goals for later because that's where they count because it's, it's an outright knockout later on and, and they need to make sure they're on form for that. So keep it steady and, and get the job done at, at this stage seems to be their sort of mission. Yeah, I think we would have liked to see more. I mean, it would have been great if some of those goals were on side. I mean, that would have been good because, of course, it was just an own goal that sealed it in the end. Um, quite a spectacular own goal from from Hummels. But, um, yeah, we would, it would have been good to see France actually um, put the ball in the net a few more times. It did need more goals. It deserved more goals. Um, as you say, it was a, it, it had that feeling of a of a bigger game than just a group game. But um, yeah, I would I would like to have seen a few more shots, and uh, because without that own goal, it would have, well, you know, really there's 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 not much there because everything was offside. So yeah, just that really, I suppose. The Paul Pogba pass in the build-up to the own goal that Mats Hummels scored. Obviously, it was a great ball with the outside of his boot, Marley. And this has led to plenty of questions about Paul Pogba and his ability. I don't think his ability was ever in question. At least it has never been for me. Everyone just always says, though, when Paul Pogba plays well for France, oh, why can't he translate that form for France to a Manchester United shirt? Um, is Paul Pogba just, just showing how good he, he really is when... Almost 
the shackles and the pressures of the Premier League are relaxed a little bit, even though it's a big major international tournament. People tend to view it through more neutral eyes because they're watching France and not Manchester United. So do you think that actually he's not really that much different in a French shirt? Or do you think that there is a case to suggest that he does have different form and plays better for France than he does for United or vice versa? I think there's definitely um, an improvement when he plays for France. And I think when you think about it, the the, the reason is pretty obvious. Um, when he plays for France... He's got Angolo Kante behind, beside him, and when he plays for Man United, he's got McTominay and Fred or Matic, and it's it's sim- it's just not the same. Like you don't understand how how much a defend a good solid defensive midfielder who you have confidence in can unlock a player who's who's playing alongside him. Like we seen it last night, he had the confidence, he had the swagger, and that's because he had Kante alongside him and Rabiot next to him. And Rabiot's not not an amazing player, but he's solid and he's he's more defensive than. Um, somebody like uh, I don't know Fred. He's more sort of defensively capable. In what I mean, you know, he's he's tactically he'll do what needs to be done if Pogba goes on a a dribble or tries a a pass from a, a sort of tries to unlock a defense with a pass or something like that. Um, and we've seen it. We've we seen it with Leicester years ago. I mean, Angolo Kante made Danny Drinkwater look like Steven Gerrard in his prime. Like that's how good he is. He he just unlocks players alongside him. So we got Chelsea know, all, bought both of them. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah, and they were duped into into signing Drinkwater because all of a sudden they got him there, and and he wasn't he wasn't as good. And you know, I mean, before what was Drinkwater's value before they, they signed Kante? Probably five or ten million. Mm. And then they signed Kante, and they had that title winning season. All of a sudden, Drinkwater goes for thirty million, and that's because. That he built up such a partnership with Kante, and Kante was such an such an enabler that he, he just let him do what he was doing. So when you see France and you see, firstly, a three man midfield, you've got two guys that will do the dirty work while Pogba gets a bit more creative license. Mm. And you've seen it with the you've seen it with the pass. You know he's he's got that quality. He's got that vision, and he's seen it. Um, he's seen the overlap. He's seen the fact that Germany were all the way over to their their left. Um, and left uh, the the left back Hernandez bombing on to to uh, exploit that space that had been left, and Pogba was there to pick him out with a fantastic ball, and it ended up in a goal. So it's not really anything, you know, France versus Man United for me. It's just the fact that who he plays alongside, and I think mm-hmm. if Man United can see that and go out and sign a proper good quality uh, defensive midfielder in this summer or January or next summer or whenever it may be, I think that's when you'll see. Pogba go to possibly another another level and start mm. to play how he does for France, but in a red shirt at Man United. A really, really interesting debate. I actually think Paul Pogba's had a pretty good season on the whole for Manchester United, and he's carried that form on into the Euros, it looks like, after uh, the opening game of Group F. They beat Germany by a goal to nil, did France. I think that cements France as favourites. Do you th- still think France are favourites, Marley? Uh, yeah, probably. Um I, th- I think you could you could name twenty six French players who didn't get in that squad yeah. and put them in put them in a, a different you know a squad of their own and they'd get to the quarterfinals as well. I think they're that strong. So mm. yeah, I'd, I'd still have them as favourites. Um, I'm still pleased with how England played and stuff like that. So I don't think I don't think we're sort of totally out of it. But if we can avoid France, that would be great because I'd rather play them in a one off game to. later in the competition as possible. I saw an interesting comment um, on social media this morning, Ian, about whether England fans, if they beat Scotland on Friday, 
would be quite content to maybe not win against the Czech Republic, which I always find baffling, by the way. Wishing a team you support to lose is just ridiculous. I think there's a difference between wanting your team to lose and not being bothered if they do. Um, but effectively, if England finish top of their group, they'll play the second place team in Group F, which could be one of France, Germany, Portugal, Hungary. We don't know just yet. I mean, do you think that there is a school of thought that... <laughs> England would rather finish second in their group to avoid one of these teams or does it make no odds because if you're going to win the tournament you're going to have to play one of the better teams anyway well yeah you're going to have to face them at some point I don't think it's in a sportsman's um, mindset really to, 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 to go out there and think oh well we'll throw this game because we don't want to finish I don't think they get much respect from anybody for doing that um and I think, as I say, you know, sportsmen are, are hugely competitive uh, guys and they, they usually want to win everything. So I can't think that that's going to happen. You're going to have to, as you say, you're going to have to face them at some point. And I think that I think we were looking through the possibilities last week and depending on how it, it balances out, I mean, they, they could come second and I think they could end up playing Italy, I think, in the round after that in Rome or something. So, it, 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 yeah, are you just kicking the can down the road? Because you are going to have to face the top teams. You know, France, Belgium, Italy, Germany, Spain. They're all among the favourite. Portugal, of course. They're all among the favourites. And so, you know, it's not like the World Cup where you can just navigate your way through playing yeah. teams from backwaters. You're <laughs> going to you're gonna have, to, you're gonna have to grab it. What do you mean? Panama aren't from the backwaters? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, to be honest, <laughs> I think that that is a really flawed argument that, that you pinpoint there in, in terms of... Everyone in the World Cup when England got to the semi-finals in 2018 said, oh, well, England have played nobody. They've played Panama, they've played Tunisia, they've beat Colombia, they played Sweden. They only played one half-decent team in Croatia, and that was it. And I just think, well, you know, if, if those sorts of people who are complaining that England didn't face anyone decent in the World Cup and on the run to the semi-finals are the same people that are complaining about possibly facing Germany, France or Portugal in the last 16... You can't have your cake and eat it. If you want to win the tournament properly, you've got to beat the best teams. France certainly looked like one of those. They beat Germany by a goal to nil in Group F last night. More Group F chat when it comes to Euro 2020 next, as we'll discuss Portugal's victory over Hungary here on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your Euros edition from Sports Social. Loads of European Championships podcasts as well on the Sports Social Podcast Network. All you need to do is head over to our website and click the podcast tab or just visit direct podcast.sport-social.co.uk. Loads of different stuff on there, including uh, the official British Speedway podcast from our very own Ian Brandon. New episode out of that, isn't there, Ian? Yeah, every week, every Tuesday. And uh, this week, because of the restrictions um, in the world, um, a few Speedway teams have kind of put their seasons on hold for a few weeks until things ease up because they're struggling so much with just really needing the, the, the cash through the turnstiles. So we've got an interview with the um, owner of Wolverhampton Wolves, one of the um, longest running clubs in, in British Speedway, um, about his uh, situation. And we've got a whole host of other Speedway stars in the podcast. Download it now. 
Yeah, the podcast called No Breaks, No Fear. It's the official British Speedway podcast hosted by Ian with loads of great guests from around the world of British Speedway. So make sure you check it out. Again, podcast.sport-social.co.uk. Loads of great Euros content on there as well. Is there much appetite for Speedway in Hungary by any chance, Ian? Or is it one of those No, kind of- there, there, there has been a few, uh, a few Hungarians in the past. I mean, it's not massive. Um, but Speedway uh, is a thing in Hungary. It's massive in Eastern Europe. I tell you what, if you've got a Poland, yeah. huge, mm. massive. Um, but yeah, Hungary, a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm not so sure about Azerbaijan, but we'll come on to that. <laughs> well, obviously, football is the main focus here on this podcast. And Hungary were in action last night in front of 61,000 fans in a full stadium in Budapest. They lost in their Group F game 3-0 to Portugal. But the first thing we should say, Marley, is that that's the first time I think I've seen a full football stadium in a long, long time. And it was brilliant just seeing all the videos of the Hungarians walking to the stadium. Obviously, they had their own specific protocols in place and whatnot. Um, But to see that many, over 60,000, supporting their national team and giving Portugal a good game, it's a great sight. Yeah, it was. Um, I think that's probably quite a big reason as to why um, they almost pulled off a result. I think if that's in a a, a stadium with 5,000 or or no one in, then you could have seen Portugal having a lot easier time of it. But... You know the crowd were there. It was nice and vibrant, and it was just—it was so different. You can see when, you can hear the difference. You can feel the difference, can't you? When you're watching the game, and you know the the reactions are real, and there's no one on a sound editing desk trying to do the best with, you know, tinned applause and canned, uh, canned booing and whatever. So, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, and I think sixty-one thousand. I mean. If you gloss over the the impact that might have on their next coming weeks in terms of the the virus spreading, you know, and enjoy it for what it was, then then great. Um, it was really nice to see, and hopefully we'll have more scenes like that when the Premier League starts in uh, a couple of months' time. Yeah, absolutely. And the Pushkash Arena in Budapest, I think, has been used um, a few times actually in the last few months as kind of a neutral venue um, when coronavirus was sort of uh, almost closer to its peak let's just say um that was kind of a a stadium that was used so it's certainly used to hosting um big events there in budapest hungary lost three nil cristiano ronaldo ian was the man to score two of those goals it did take 84 minutes of portugal to break through so we'll come to that in a second but with the two goals ronaldo becomes the outright top european championships goal scorer with those two efforts across five different european championships what's he now 36 37 years of age he was saying before the game that he's not as good as he was 18 months ago let alone five six ten years ago but what he's learned to do is adapt do you think we saw that last night do you think we saw why Ronaldo has been such a phenomenon in the last however long 15 years because he he is always determined to be the best he can be yeah he's got a huge will to win and he's, he's I think his professionalism and also um his maturity now as well, because I think he was a bit hot-headed when he was when he first burst onto the scene. I remember when he first started playing for you know Man United and stuff, and he was mm. uh, <clears throat> well. It was bit... in the Euros in two thousand four, yeah. his first tournament where Wayne Rooney and him were teammates, and then there was the little wink, and Rooney yeah, got sent yeah. off, and it all kicked off. 
Exactly, exactly. And it was it was a bit more feisty then, whereas now he's much more mature. He is a leader. And uh, we have seen him evolve over time, as, as people do, though. You know, people grow up and, and they learn from their experiences. And he's clearly a massive role model for some of the younger players around there. But having said that, you know, he's, he's not uh, at the bitter end of his career. Um, he's overtaken that record, though, that was set by Michel Platini in uh, 1984. He scored nine of the ten goals, though. So uh, there's, there's a little uh, bit of pressure there on, on Ronaldo to see if he can score all of those record breaking goals in one tournament um so <laughs> there is that um particular thing but yeah he's uh he, he's he's a great role model for for all footballers one of the world's best it'd be great to see him back in in britain as well i think you know before he before he finishes his career it would be it would be nice to see him back here i think um where do you think he'd go if that was the case? Leeds United, clearly. Um, <laughs> might be able to squeeze him in, but I, I don't know if there's room for him, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll have to wait and see, of course. Ronaldo, it doesn't sound like he's uh, hoping to hang his boots up anytime soon. I think we'll see him try and play well into his 40s. I think a move to the United States could be on the cards at some point. That seems the most likely destination. That's where they all go, isn't it? To kind of have their final moment yeah. in the sunshine, the MLS. Final um, payday. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Two goals for Ronaldo in the 3-0 victory against Hungary. But like I said, Marley, Portugal had to work hard. It took till 84 minutes for them to break the deadlock against Hungary. Hungary even had a goal disallowed, um, which sent the stadium into raptures, which was really, unfortunately for them, it was chalked off. Do you think 3-0 was a scoreline that flattered Portugal, or do you think that that was about right in the end? Uh, A bit of both, actually. I I thought it flattered them. Um, on the general level of play, you know, Portugal were were comfortable, you know, they were much the better team, but Hungary were trying to counter-attack when they could and, you know, it almost ended up really um, perfect for them when the substitute came on and, and scored, uh, but was judged, I think he was he, he was comfortably offside, he was a good yard or two offside, but, you know, Portugal's hearts were in their mouths there for sure, but it was one of them where, you know, like, when when you get so close... When you get six minutes away from pulling off a result like that in front of sixty-one thousand fans, you know, you don't. I in don't, a group where you've been given no chance yeah. to basically get anything. Yeah, you, you could tell they were up for it and they fancied the job. You know, they, they know what's in front of them, hungry, and they're not as bad a, a team as people are, are sort of making out. I think they're they're, they're an all right team and they've got the the best player missing as well. That uh, Shabozlai from from Leipzig. He, you know, I think he's uh, injured and miss, missing the uh, the whole tournament. So. I think with just to get that close and then to lose three nil. I mean, you've seen it. It was a sucker punch that that first goal, and especially as it was deflected in proper scrappy, rubbish goal from Guerrero, and it it was wasn't it was complete miss hit, and then it hits the defender and trickles past the goalkeeper, and then you're thinking, oh, that's a body blow, and then thirty seconds later they give away the the penalty, and they pretty much just gave up from there, and you know the the third goal. That that third goal that Ronaldo scored, it's a good goal, but it doesn't go in after sixty minutes because Hungary are chasing the ball harder and they're trying to they're trying to get something from the game. But you know, in in the eighty ninth ninetieth minute, you know, one team's up for it and one team's not. One's got the tails up and one's got the 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 sulking a little bit. So yeah, um, overall level, it was comfortable for Portugal, but I don't think they deserved the the three nil uh, victory. I thought they were they, they made it hard work against Hungary. Do you think Hungary showed enough, though, to suggest they could possibly upset Germany or France, who, of course, are their next two games? Uh, well, the one thing we said is, is Germany looked quite toothless. 
So, you know, if if they put in a similar performance, I can't see Germany scoring after eighty four minutes like um, like Hungary did. But it, uh, sorry, like Portugal did against Hungary. But it's just up to the Hungarians now to to try and repeat that level of performance because probably seven or eight times out of ten, when you're playing like that and you get to eighty four minutes, most of the time, seven or eight times, you see it out. Um, but you know, look at the bounce went against them. The the deflection goes past the goalkeeper when it was going towards him. Um, so they've got to they've got to do that match that level again. Um, and as as Ian mentioned before, it's in Munich, isn't it, in Germany? So maybe you know the the home crowd is going to go against them a little bit. So it'll be a bit tougher from here on. From Group F to Group A, we will leave Portugal three Hungary nil there for the moment and move on to Turkey against Wales, which kicks off 5 p.m. this evening in Baku, Azerbaijan. I mean, Wales obviously with a draw in their opening group game against Switzerland that finished one apiece. They're currently third in the group at the moment. Turkey a bottom after losing three nil to Italy on that opening game of the tournament on Friday night. If Wales are to progress through to the last 16, Ian. Is this game against Turkey their best chance of doing so? Their best chance of picking up three points? Turkey are bottom of the group. They got beat 3-0 by Italy, like I say. And Wales drew with the Swiss and they've got Italy next. So do you think this game against Turkey represents their best opportunity to squeeze their way through to the next round? Yes, I mean, it's good that they've got that one point on the board. Um, Could be a a crucial point come the reckoning. But yeah, if they're going to win a match, this this has to be the one because... You wouldn't fancy your chances or you couldn't rely on your chances. Going to Rome to take on Italy is going to be a a huge task. Now, they could win. Of course, they could win. But, you know, as you say, I think you've got to look at it. The only thing that kind of goes in Wales is um, goes against Wales tonight is the fact that this game's being held in in Baku um, and there's going to be a lot of Turkish fans there. And it's going to be apparently it's, it's known for having a hugely hostile environment um a nasty nasty place to go is is this it's going to be a a, a tough night mentally i think for the for the wales team they're going to get a lot of abuse um gareth bales played there before i think with with real madrid and and he's sort of letting them know about what they're what they're expected to to uh, encounter so there's going to be that side of it it's not going to be um it's not going to be it's going to be like playing in, in in turkey to be honest it's that's that's what they're calling it it's sort of a an away home game for for turkey but um you'd think that they've got enough on the pitch you know uh, on paper the the two teams wales you would you would think have, have, have got enough to overcome turkey um but yeah it's just that on the night kind of aspect i think that's going to be the thing those Turkey fans do like to make a racket and you're right obviously Baku is a lot closer to Istanbul than it is to Cardiff that's for sure so uh, I'm not sure we'll see too many Welsh uh, making the trip over there to Azerbaijan one benefit for Wales um, like Ian says Marley is the fact they do already have a point on the board and with this new Euros qualification system where the best four third place teams will make it through to the last 16 Well, Wales are currently the best of the bunch at the moment because Spain, even though they're third in their group, they drew 0-0 with Sweden, which means that because Wales drew 1-1, even though both sides have a point, they're currently better off due to goal difference. That should surely be at the thinking of of Welsh minds as well. That should surely be uh, in amongst the thought process that they've almost got three chances to to get through to the last 16. And if they can even get another point against Turkey, that also sets them up um, in good stead to get through. Yeah, it's um, it's a strange tournament, isn't it? You know, with, with how things are sort of, 
you know, qualification purposes and stuff. And you've got to be thinking, you know, Turkey, Turkey might be tough, but Italy are going to be tougher, as they've proved in general over the last hundred years of playing football, and also in the in the last week of of looking really good and dispatching Turkey very very comfortably. Um, so yeah, you, you've got to you've got to go into this Turkey game thinking this is our chance to qualify because if we win and lose to Italy, we've got four points, and that's more than likely going to be enough to get through as one of the third place um, qualifiers. So. Obviously, it depends on what happens with with the other results with um, Switzerland and Turkey in in uh, well, what what would that be like? Sort of Friday, Saturday, like Sunday, Monday's time, whenever they play. But I mean, if you beat Turkey and then Switzerland play Turkey and Turkey are going into that game having lost two in a row, you wouldn't back against Switzerland getting a getting a point there. So you know, this is huge for Wales. It's it's a really really big game for them. Um, if I'm honest, I don't think they're good enough to win it, but. Wales, I mean, they, they pretty much stunk against Switzerland, but they managed to scrape a draw. But this is what Wales have to do. They have to drag them down to that level and, and stop them playing, stop the better players, and hopefully they can um, take the chances. They've got a, you know, Kiefer Moore up front. We'll, we'll, we'll head a brick, uh, a brick, concrete brick back to you. You know what I mean? He's he's one of them proper brave strikers that you can you can challenge you know you can say right you're going up against Soyuncu but you're as big as him you you know you can you can batter him about a bit even though that's weird to say against Soyuncu because he's huge but Kiefer Moore's even bigger so you're looking at him saying can can we bounce things off you and, and get a second ball and nick a goal and try and hang on to it because you know, Turkey are a decent team and they'll be they'll certainly be wanting to play a lot lot better than they did against Italy because they were awful but you know, this is this is a big chance for Wales. They've set themselves up all right with a point against Switzerland. Um, Switzerland are probably slightly easier than Turkey, um, from from what a lot of people are saying. But you you would hope that Wales can can go and do something because you know it'd be good for them. I mean, I'm not really asked as an England fan, but it'd be great it'd be great for them to to go and uh, you know try and finish in that third place and see if they can get through. I used to live in Cardiff. I lived there for three years and. I can tell you now, when international football comes to Cardiff, it is nowhere near the same as when the Six Nations is on. Um, Very much a rugby (laughs) nation, but certainly at this moment, plenty of Welsh, uh, both rugby fans and football fans, would be supporting their nation uh, during this Euros, particularly considering what they did five years ago in 2016, where they obviously had a great game against England, which went down to the death. I think Daniel Sturridge scoring a last-minute winner, but they went further than England in the tournament. They got to the semi-finals, didn't they? they even beat Belgium along the way in that run in 2016 I think that they're slightly different to Scotland in terms of I said a couple of days ago Scotland should just try and enjoy the occasion of being at the Euros because it's been so long Wales I think can feel slightly different a little bit more confident considering what they did achieve five years ago Turkey versus the Welsh tonight 5 p.m in Baku Time for another break here on Football Social Daily, but we'll switch from European Championships focus back to the Premier League because the fixtures for the new season were announced today. Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Niall. I've got Ian and Marley alongside me. We've been focusing on the Euros throughout the last five or six days here on the podcast. Of course, that is at the front of everyone's focus. The European Championships a year delayed, but back underway now. But the Premier League is still bubbling away in the background. And the fixtures for the upcoming 2021-22 top flight season were announced this morning, and there's some very interesting ties to discuss. We'll come on to that in a second, Ian. But first of all, First day of the season, Saturday the 14th of August. 
Is that too soon? Are we still seeing too much football in the top flight and in general these days? Um, no, I think that's the first weekend when football generally begins. Maybe it's brought forward a week or so, but it's always around about my dad's birthday and his birthday on the 16th of August. So uh, I'm not particularly concerned by that. I think, um, yeah, it's slightly earlier than it used to be, but it's no massively different. It's different, I suppose, from the point of view of the last season started late, then we've gone straight into the Euros. By the time the Euros are finished, we're going to have a few weeks off and and then before we know it, we're back into it again. And and I suppose that some clubs, the the Championship and League One and so on, will will be starting their pre-seasons within days of the the main Euros tournament ending. So it will seem that we've had little break, but um, I think it's just one of those things. We're getting back into the normal cycle. I think with the yeah the last season starting late Euros it seems like it's early but I think actually it's it's not a right lot different to normal we just we just we're just blessed with so much football to watch you know it's great stuff why doesn't it start in September I've never understood this just put a few more midweek games in the the football league there's more teams they seem to be able to play Tuesday nights just squeeze a few more in on Tuesday nights and leave it as a bigger break between the end of the summer and the start of the new season I think that will do the players the world of good rather than having it a week apart a week apart a week apart then you get the random international breaks that come in I mean there's an international break I think after three weeks at the start of the season it's just absolutely stupid I just don't know who does the logistics for well, this I mean, sort of some thing. of these some of these players you know they're in the premier league you've got to understand that they're being asked to play maybe two games a week that's a whole three hours work a week what's uh, <laughs> what what more do you want um, I know but yeah, european I think, football yeah. in terms of the champions league europa league this new europa conference league is being chucked in there as well talks about the league cup and the fa cup has done away with replays and there is a lot of football to be played but the thing is for me Like you say, the final of the Euros is on the 11th of July. The first game of the Premier League season is the 14th of August. That's a month. And like you say, pre-season is normally about a month long. So are these players actually going to get any rest, any time to just relax, forget about football? I'm not sure they are. I I think the season starts too soon. I think if you've got uh, if if you've got plans to go on holiday to Sandy Lane Hotel in Barbados, you'll be uh, you'll be spoiled to uh, <laughs> be surrounded by the stars of of, of Euro uh, of Euro 2020 right there in before your very eyes. It's, it's going to be a busy week there. What do you think, Marley? Do you think there's too much football? Do you think I'm being a little bit um, over the top with my reaction there about football starting on the 14th of August? Nah, more football. Bring it on. Love it. <laughs> Boring without it. We don't have a podcast without it, so <laughs> bring it on. That's a good point. Something to talk That's about. A very good point. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get your point. Um, I just think we'll see towards the start of the season, the, the guys that go further in the Euros getting a little bit more rest. Um, you can see Pogba missing the first two or three weeks. Um, if he goes and, goes and has a fortnight on a holiday, if France gets to the final, for example, give him a, give him a little break then and then bring him back for two weeks pre-season. Um, in the sort of last two weeks of pre-season then give him another couple of weeks to build up his match fitness while Man United start their um, season but it's just one of those things it happens pretty much all the time with um, with things like the, the major tournaments when there's a major tournament in the summer it does affect plans and you do have half a squad in pre-season sometimes but it's just one of those one of those things you got to get used to I think and we've had it for years so I don't think it's anything massively different this year other than the fact that we've come off a non-stop two seasons because of COVID, which probably does affect affect things. And maybe it could have been um, slightly altered, but it hasn't. So 
we've just got to get on with it, haven't we? I suppose. Also, I think one sort of upside is that there's unlikely to be continental pre-season tours this summer. So the Euros will finish and it's unlikely that many of these top sides are going to be whisked off to Australia or America or the Far East or anywhere like that because of coronavirus <laughs> restrictions. It seems more likely Ever- that... Everton, are you? Uh, Everton, going... are they really? Yeah, they're going to America. Um, I can't remember where, but I'm pretty sure it was because they had Ancelotti as a manager <laughs> and all of a sudden they were becoming slightly more of a name in America than he, uh, than he leaves and uh, they've ended up... Um, with well, probably Nuno Santo going over there, but yeah, um, on the whole, I would expect a lot less of these sort of Audi cups and glamour friendlies and what have you. So, yeah, Everton are uh, possibly the exception to the rule. They might be shooting themselves in the foot there, to be fair, because you know the the amount of travelling and stuff, and then coming back, and then if any of them have to quarantine, they're all knackered. <laughs> well, Paul Pogba, if he does miss the first couple of weeks of the season, like you suggest, Marley, they'll be hoping Manchester United that that isn't the case because Manchester United opened their Premier League season against Leeds United, Ian, on opening day. Meanwhile, Spurs welcome champions Manchester City. Liverpool visit newly promoted Norwich. But that's a big one, isn't it, to open the Premier League season, Ian? Leeds United travelling to Old Trafford. Yeah, it doesn't get any bigger for Leeds fans. That is the match. Um, Man United, Leeds United. People always go on about, you know, Yorkshire derbies or like Sheffield United. It was never the same. Liverpool, I think, is the second biggest. But I think for, for, for Leeds United fans, Man United match is the one to start with that. You know, it is classed really as a, a bit of a derby um, and um, a huge way to start the season. I would say... My gut feeling is I think I'd rather play Man United on the first day of the season, catch them off guard. It almost worked against Liverpool because um, that's who Leeds were drawn against on the opening day, Mm. or certainly their opening match last year. Um, And um, and, and that nearly paid off. I think teams like uh, like Man United, you know, you can say quite a few stars will have just come back from holiday, first proper match, could catch them uh, off guard there, potentially. Leeds United, by the way, facing Man United for the first time on the opening day since 1970. When it was the great side, Mick Jones won the match one nil at Old Trafford uh, on that uh, on that day. So um, maybe history will repeat. Who knows? Leeds, by the way, as well. Also, uh, yesterday was the anniversary three years of Bielsa being in charge. Yes, and. Um, Top stat coming your way. Leeds officially, according to Opta, the fittest team in the Premier League. They ran further than any other team, 113 kilometres per match on average. Yeah, the uh, the second fittest is that under 11s Bielsa got his hands on last week. (laughs) 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 Poor lads. Well, talking of a great start for Leeds in terms of the big game that they were looking forward to, Norwich City, perhaps the opposite. They have the same start as they had two seasons ago, coming up against Liverpool. Do you think they'll stay up this time, Norwich, Marley, or is it still too soon to tell? I would suggest it's probably a little bit too early to suggest. Uh, I would. My gut feeling is they'll do what they always do, and they'll they'll play nice <laughs> football at times, and they'll, they'll go ultimately go back down. Yeah, um, they could have done without getting Liverpool on the first day of the season as well, because. The one thing uh, I always remember when Liverpool play Norwich is just Luis Suarez absolutely tearing Norwich about four new a**s every, every season. He just used to bag goals at left, right and centre. I know they haven't got him anymore, obviously, but it's just always seemed like Liverpool would absolutely kill Norwich every time. So hopefully they can get that out of the way and get uh, maybe get a result, ride that little bit of momentum you have in the first day of the season as a newly promoted team. But uh, we'll see what they can do. But, I mean, losing Buendia... 
is a big blow. I think uh, it depends who they replace him with. Um, since they were last in the Premier League, they've lost you know uh, Godfrey and Jamal Lewis as well, who were two of their standout players. And I know they've got other players in to replace them, but I don't think they're quite as good. Um, but so I think it'll be a big summer for Norwich, and we'll see what they can, uh, who they can attract, and whether they can you know nick a couple of uh, of, of good signings in the summer and give themselves a bit more steel because I think they they rolled over a bit too easy. Uh, the last time they were in the Premier League, so it's a it's a lesson they they need to learn pretty quickly because they keep coming up and then going down and then walking the Championship and coming up and getting nowhere near in the Premier League really. So they need to learn sooner or later, otherwise, you know they they're just gonna do what they do. Talking of newly promoted sides, Watford and Brentford are also in the top flight. Watford back in the Premier League, but of course Brentford, we've never seen them in the top flight before. A, a brand new venture for them in West London. It's uh, it's looking like a, an interesting start to the Premier League season. Their maiden Premier League game, Ian, is against Arsenal at their new stadium, the Brentford Community Stadium, their first ever Premier League fixture. How do you think they'll fare in the Premier League, uh, I guess? Well, like we were saying before in, in the Euros, you're going to have to face all these teams at some point. Um, I don't think there's any easy start because if they got drawn against somebody like, say, Norwich as the first game of the season, it would still be a very tricky match because they've, they, they know each other very well from playing each other in the Championship. And I think in some ways a little more dangerous because that team, the teams know a lot about each other and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas facing Arsenal, Brentford are an unknown quantity to Arsenal. I suppose we've seen that Arsenal can be uh, a Jekyll and Hyde character previously. We'll have to wait and see what happens over the course of the summer and if there's any major changes there. But uh, depending on which Arsenal turns up, it could be uh, could be a surprise on the cards even because a new stadium, different team. Arsenal won't know a great deal about Brentford, I, I don't imagine. I mean, obviously they'll do their research and stuff, but uh, it could be an interesting start. I think it's going to be a very tricky year for Brentford, though, over the course of the season. Um, depending on how much um, investment they make, I'm not sure how deep Brentford's pockets are, but I don't think they've got um, you know, the, the resources of uh, any of the top six. And um, I, I think it could be very, very, very... Might start off well, but I think that, um, as some teams do, you know, we saw that with Norwich, didn't we, And when, when they first got promoted. But I predict a similar season, maybe, maybe a few surprises to start with, but, um, and then the reality might set in is my feeling. But they are an extremely strategic football club, aren't they? Marley, Brentford. They're, they just have a plan. They've executed it to a T. By all accounts, I remember watching Brentford in League One seven years ago, eight years ago. Pompey is still there. And I'd argue we're twice the size of Brentford, and yet Brentford have shown exactly what you can do if you get your planning right, if you're smart about it and you don't throw money at everything, which seems to be the way that a lot of clubs try and operate in terms of getting to what everyone describes as the promised land in the Premier League. But Brentford have done it strategically and it's pulled, it's been pulled off. It's worked out brilliantly for them. Yeah, they've, um, they're, they're a rare side that think outside the box. Um, they don't do the, the sort of said thing. And, you know, we've seen them in, in recent years. They've got rid of their uh, academy because they basically look at it from a business point of view and say, well, how many of these lads get to the get to the first team and is it a, a solid enough investment you know they've got loads of they you know they're based in london which is a 
a huge um, advantage because you get Arsenal hoovering up all these players, um, Chelsea and you know all the rest of them, Crystal Palace, West Ham, all these teams that have better academies than you. So you've got to go a long way to 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 compete with them. But why not just take the castoffs? Why not just take somebody who's not quite good enough? Um, to get in the Arsenal team, for example, you know, you, a couple of years ago, you might have had Emil Smith Rowe for a couple of million quid, and look what a player he looks like. Joe Willock, Chris Willock, all these players, Maitland Niles have got all these players, like someone like Arsenal and Chelsea have got countless as well that don't quite make the thing. And, and Brentford, one of those teams, went, went well, this is a, a money making, it just doesn't make sense from a business point of view. So they got rid of that. Um, and the the owner um, Benham, I think it's called Matthew Benham. You know, he's a very very rich man, and he's very very clever with his money and how he's made it. He's basically he's, he's a gambler basically, but he he, he comes up with um, ways of making money that aren't sort of done before. So it's not just it's not just randomness as uh, randomness and and luck. It's having a B team of seventeen to twenty year olds that that have been let go by other teams, and you know simple simple stuff like that, and saying, well, you know, if if this guy doesn't come in, if it if we give Saeed Ben Rama a chance, for example, and he's no good, we've we've wasted barely any money, but if he's mint, I think they bought him for something like four or five million quid, and they sold him for forty to West Ham, like that's clever money, and then they can buy players like Ivan Tony, for example. From from League One, give him a, give him a chance in the in the Championship, and all of a sudden now he's being linked with moves elsewhere. If if he was to be sold, which he won't, because he got to the Premier League, so you get to keep him. But you know he's worth thirty thirty five million if somebody wants to come and buy him. So it's one of them where you know he's he's done very clever things, and you know he's gone from I think he, he, he to start off he loaned um, Brentford the money. I think it was like seven hundred thousand pounds or something like that. Um, gave the fans the chance to buy the club um, as part of this these loan conditions. The fans didn't want to buy the club, so he took it on himself and said, OK, we're going to do things my way. Um, and it's resulted in Brentford getting to the Premier League for the first time in the history. And fair play to them. They've, they've got there by doing things differently and they'll probably do things even more differently when they, uh, when they get to the Premier League and it'll be good to see them um, to see them try and do that and see if it works. I think there's something to be said for that whole moneyball kind of uh, approach, where you know they 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 take chances on on stats and and things like that. Which I don't know if you've seen the the movie Moneyball with uh, with Brad Pitt in it, but I, I saw it three times once on a flight to America. And uh, basically, it's it's, it's about the um, it's about the uh, Boston. Red Sox um, baseball team and they uh, go through they've been beaten and had a horrible time and they basically use stats and they get some geek to go through and, and, and sort of work out if there's anybody that they're missing and, uh, and and that is a good way to go about it and other teams have done that as well Leeds have done it um, Leicester have done it and you find a few gems that I suppose for Brentford, it, they've they've sold quite a few of them as well over the time to other teams. I suppose for Brentford, it's making that change from being a selling club to to finding that talent and keeping it for themselves now and nurturing it to to help them kick on. Um, Thomas Frank, the manager of Brentford, is a bit of a character though, and I think uh, he's going to put a few noses out of joint in press conferences. It could be quite fun. He uh, he, he speaks his mind. He's he's, hmm. he's quite bold. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, best of luck to Brentford in the Premier League. They kick off their campaign against Arsenal. Plenty more Premier League news for all 20 top flight clubs on our website, sport-social.co.uk, where we'll try and keep you up to date with all the latest top flight transfer gossip and transfer news. And as well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of European Championships action in chat on the website as well. So that site again, sport-social.co.uk. And if you are an England supporter and you fancy following England uh, with a little bit of cash and putting your money where your mouth is, our sponsors over at Boyle Sports have got a great offer going on during the Euros. Stake 10 quid during any England game during the tournament. And if your stake loses, you'll get your money back refunded into your account as a £10 free bet. T's and C's apply 18 plus. Be gamble aware. You can find more information at boilsports.com or the Boil Sports app. Thanks very much, Marley. Cheers, Ian. Enjoy tonight's Wales versus Turkey game in Baku. I'm sure you'll be um, glued to the screens at 5 yeah. p.m. when that one kicks we got off. The, uh, we've got the lava bread ready and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Come on, and Wales. And your wool chart will be uh, significantly more filled in by the next time we speak, I'm oh, sure, Ian. <laughs> here it is. Yeah, if it's, if it's not tatty and falling apart. You know, they start to tear, don't they, after the first round of games? That's the They're problem. They're very thin, chance. aren't they? That newspaper paper yeah. is very, very thin. Um, that's <laughs> it for today's episode of Football Social Daily. More Euros chat for you tomorrow, so hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss it. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.